today's Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And I'm reading from the NIV version. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar called Nazareth, covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from a rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father, Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Psalm 46 tells us that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God's within her. She will not fall. God will help her at daybreak. Now, God, we thank you that you are our refuge, that you are our strength, that we do not need to fear, that whilst the uncertainties of life swell around us, like a river flowing through, God, that we can hold close to you, that, God, you are ever-present in times of trouble. Now, God, we lift up Rob and Catherine and the family going through a really hard time. And, God, I, I thank you, Lord, that, that you were able to get Catherine to the hospital quickly yesterday, that the doctors are working with her, uh, giving her the best care that they can. We thank you that this precious baby is still growing. Lord, we pray that you will be with them in the coming weeks as, uh, as they 
as we continue to pray as a church for the, the strength of this little baby. We pray you uphold Robert and Catherine as well. The tiredness that they must be feeling, we ask that you give them strength beyond what is even imaginable. May they find rest even when it feels like they don't want to close their eyes. Be with them, God. Now, Lord, we also want to thank you that you are the refuge for those who have been displaced through the flood times. As people have the hard job of cleaning up their homes and their towns, as uh, they make, make good of the mess that, that these floodwaters have brought, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you be with them. We pray for the churches around these uh, areas that are really badly flooded, that they will be a very present space for people, that people will engage with the church and the church will be uh, open for, for, for those that just need help. Uh, Lord, we want to pray for our Year 12s as they continue on with their exams at the moment. Uh, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you will just be with them as they uh, study, give them a real focus through their study time. And we pray that they have a great recall as they, get, <coughs> as they go into the exams. <clears throat> we also ask, Lord, that for those who are in our congregation that are not well at the moment, the bugs that are going around are not great, but we also know that there's a lot of COVID going around as well. <clears throat> May you keep this congregation safe and their families as well. For those who are feeling pain in their bodies, I ask, Lord, that you heal them, that you'll be with them, that they'll be strengthened in their bones and in their, their aches. And we ask our God that this congregation, this church, your church, will be strengthened in you, that we will grow in depth of knowledge and love for you, that as we uh, reach out into our community through the coffee cart, through Two Sparrows Coffee Cart, whether we uh, do it through just walking into the shopping centre and wearing a t-shirt over Christmas, or whether we uh, are reaching out through a car boot sale or just through a walking group on a Thursday, we ask God that you will help us to be bold in our faith, to proclaim who you are that we will seek to share Jesus with the people that we meet. Help us do that as a church. Help us to boldly speak into our communities, into the, the, the neighbourhoods that we all live, uh, that you may get glory and that we may see your name be glorified in and through the people that don't know you yet. So bless us as a church. We thank you for it and we ask your blessings over it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles, you want to, might want to keep it open to Luke 16. It's a, uh, it's a parable that I don't know that I've ever heard preached before, and a topic that sort of gets set aside a fair bit in the church circles, um, the topic of heaven and hell and salvation. It does get sort of set aside. Yet digging past the story and hitting at the parable, we see that it's not all just about heaven and hell. Rather, it's about the choices that we make before we get there. I don't know about you, 
But I don't talk a lot about heaven and hell with people. I don't go around just going, hey, uh, what do you reckon about heaven and hell? I don't sort of say that. I don't know, you might. Maybe that's the starting point of your conversations. Who knows? Um, but it's not really on my list of things to talk about over lunch. Um, but I was thinking about the times where I've heard conversations about heaven and hell, or if I've had conversations. And it wasn't that long ago. When I was in Adelaide for the wedding that I ran there, only what, three or four weeks ago, uh, someone said to me, well, I'll be going straight to the pits of hell, won't I? They had said something inappropriate, and knowing that I was the religious celebrant, uh, that was their response. <laughs> that was their, their way. Um, they were kind of intoxicated at the time as well. But, but I wonder what prompted that response. I wonder what was going on in their mind that made them figure that hell would be the spot for them. When I was growing up, I remember hearing the terms, heaven's above, a lot. I don't know if anyone's ever said, heaven's above. It's like it's a sort of, or, or good heavens, good heavens, good heavens, good heavens. And, and it wasn't making a reference to heaven as such. It's that term of surprise, isn't it? Oh, good heavens. Heaven's above. Um, I think it can almost be an angry one as well. Oh, good heavens. Is that... Does that resonate with anyone? Does anyone, has anyone said that? Yeah. Good heavens. <laughs> Sounds a bit older. Like I don't think yeah, the younger people probably do that. But yeah, but good heavens. So you might have heard it said in that sort of context. Or maybe you've heard hell in a, in a, in a sort of used in a similar vein. Um, the boss upset with their worker. Say, what in the hell is happening here? I hope that's not sort of too harsh. But that's what, that's what you hear. And maybe they're, if they really consider the question, what in hell is happening, would be a good thing to, to have a discussion about. I don't know. Because the depiction of hell, as Jesus says it in this story, in this parable, is a place that is totally separated from God and a place of torment. And it doesn't sound like a place you want to be talking about as where you want to be going. The Far Side uh, comic strips, I like them, and over the years they've given us some funny takes on heaven and hell. I've got a couple of them up here, so uh, we'll go for this one. Um, God makes the snake. <laughs> it's a cinch. <laughs> it was an easy one. But you notice that, that heaven is depicted on the cloud. And then over here, this is the epitome of, of, uh, of hell. Oh man, the coffee's cold. They've thought of everything. <laughs> But you'll notice the flames. It's the depictions that we see. These flames and the clouds for heaven and the flames for hell. I mean, we do hear in the parable about the rich man being in agony in the fire. So maybe that's the flame thing going on there. And we hear about a lake of fire being depicted in Scripture about hell. However, for, for a, a biblically illiterate nation, people... People still equate heaven as up and hell as down, don't they? They go, heaven's up, hell's down. I know where I'm going, either up or down. <laughs> One thing that doesn't seem to connect, however, is that whatever the depiction of heaven and hell, for many there isn't a realisation that whilst we're here on earth, we actually have the opportunity to decide where we're going to go. We have that opportunity, and that's what this parable is actually all about. The parable isn't necessarily a parable of heaven and hell. It's actually about your salvation. You've got the choice to make 
today. So we're going to pray and explore this interesting story. Now, God, we pray that you help us understand the story, the parable that that Jesus taught. Help us to to understand where we lie in this story as well. Um, Give us clarity within it. Amen. The idea that heaven is somehow in the clouds or hell is in the, in the pits of fire is um, we, we hear of the, the, the parable talks about the agony in the fire. <clears throat> but um, we, we have this story that Jesus comes to, though, that depicts heaven and hell. And even the man looks up into heaven. So we can see where some of these sort of images of the up and down sort of come from. But we've got in front of us a story depicting two men. And it's a story of contrast. One man is rich and the other man is poor. There's a total contrast between their circumstances in the earthly life, but also a total contrast in their their destinies post-life. It's quite a disturbing sort of story if you really look at it. Because the rich man is suffering eternally. It's the only passage in the whole Bible that describes the thoughts, the emotions, and the words of someone who is in hell. It's the only time we hear of someone suffering in hell. So we want to look at this this morning. There's going to be three contrasts that I'm going to pull out to help us understand the the parable, and then hopefully we can get to what what that means for us. So firstly, the contrast of their earthly condition. Um, It's pretty obvious. We have a a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived lived in luxury every day. He lived the high life. He lived the good life. In contrast, the poor man described as a beggar named Lazarus was covered with sores and, and longing to eat whatever fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor guy. The contrast is quite vivid. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't sort of mincing his words in this. There was a very deliberate attempt to contrast these two men at sort of polar opposite sides. You couldn't get any further from one another. A rich man, well fed. He's clothed in purple, which the purple linen was a luxury linen. The purple dye was expensive. It says that he has money. It elevates him to the top 100 rich list type thing of his time. He's most likely known. He's opulent. So people would have known who this person was. However, our story doesn't give him a name at all. And that's really important because there is this poor man and he has a name. And his name is Lazarus. And in all the parables that Jesus told throughout all the four Gospels, it's the only time that a name is used in a parable. Because, and it's important because his name is Lazarus and it means God is my help. And it portrays exactly where he finds his strength. Because he needed strength beyond his capacity, didn't he? Lazarus didn't have the strength to do it on his own. Because he's laying there at the gate. He's not even strong enough to get rid of the dogs that come and lick his sores. And he sits in some sort of hope that the scraps will just fall off the table and find their way to where he lies. It's really quite a stark 
contrast. We have to be a little bit careful though because it's easy to infer that the parable is condemning the rich man for being rich and sort of praising the poor man for being poor. And that's just not the case. Earlier in the chapter, if you read earlier on in chapter 16, verse 13, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus almost pulls that back in. He was talking to the Pharisees at that stage. However, I wonder if these, his parable that, that he says here is sort of a little bit um, pushed towards them in this case as well. I wonder if they connect the dots and go, you can't serve both God and money. And now I've got a rich man that's going to Hades. You can't serve both. And now this rich man is not in eternity with God. So we can hear as a principle that it's, it's in Matthew 19.24. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We can hear that coming through Jesus' narrative. But we could jump to the conclusion that the rich man, his riches have excluded him from the kingdom of God. However, there's nothing actually written in the parable that suggests that that is the case. There's nothing to say that because he was rich, he missed out on being in the kingdom of God. And in a similar vein, it's nothing that says Lazarus's poverty wasn't the reason for his spiritual fervor and entrance into heaven. I think probably his dependence was needed, dependence on God for his day-to-day living. He couldn't provide the basic comforts for himself, but poverty didn't equate to a free ride to the kingdom. The parable is really just a description of two men, one who is rich and one who is poor. And in their life, their circumstances led them to very different points physically, but also spiritually. Lazarus, he didn't have great conditions. He suffered. However, as his name reminds us, that Lazarus had God as his help. And in his suffering, Lazarus had drawn close to God. The rich man, however, lived into the stereotypes set out for his demographics. He had what he needed in the world. Therefore, God, if God was any part of his agenda, it wasn't a personal a personal relationship with God. It might have been, I'll go and do my duty. I'll go and put my money into the tin and make it rattle so they see how much money I'm giving. I'll go and make the things that need to be done and say the prayers that need to be prayed. But we'll see later that the prayers uh, that he prays aren't the right things to be praying. So in this, the, the poor man was becoming rich spiritually, but the rich man was becoming poor spiritually. The earthly contrast moves then beyond what we can see, this rich and poor spirit physically, and moves into this contrast between rich and poor spiritually. So the next part we look at is what death did in this space. So we have in the story, these, these two men die. <laughs> Um, what happens? The time came when the beggar died, and the angels came, and he came to and brought him to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried in verse 22. You can imagine the contrast here, can't you? 
The rich man with all his money, all his riches. You can imagine the ceremony he might have had for a funeral. All the pomp. He would have had maybe elephants coming through. I don't know if they had. Probably not elephants. But I like the idea of elephants. I'm thinking Prince Ali type stuff. Big. (laughs) But maybe they had professional mourners lined up. The whole lot. The wailing, the flowers, the procession, the opulence of this... This thing, it would have been regal, it would have been extravagant. Contrast, Lazarus, he might not have even been buried. Might have just been left to rot on the side of the street. There would have been no pomp, there would have been no fanfare. The contrast in death is just as great as the contrast in life. However, whether rich or poor, both men died. Life was over. You might have heard it before. Death's been called the great equaliser. Regardless of what life on earth looks like, whether rich or poor, good or terrible, death puts us all in the same space, in a judgment seat before God. No longer a purple robe, no longer the fancy jewellery, no longer the pomp that sets the rich apart from the poor in this life. The contrast of the earthly life, the contrast of the death, the burial, they're all past. They're no longer helpful in eternity. And we start to see a new contrast. The true riches of Lazarus were enhanced in the life that was to come, being taken straight to Abraham, while the true poverty of the rich man was intensified, going straight into the pits. The rich man had lived a life without God in the world, so he died without God, and was split off from God. We're told that he was spent eternity in Hades, where he was in torment. And in contrast, Lazarus lived this life um, with God on earth and experienced even more of God's goodness and fullness as he was carried to be by Abraham's side. What a contrast. We have a poor, rich man. A poor, rich man. He's growing poorer as he goes down. (laughs) And a rich, poor man who's getting richer as he goes to be with his Lord. The rich man lost not only his clothes, not only his home, not only all the earthly things. He lost his opportunity for eternity with God. Lazarus, whilst he didn't have much to lose on earth, he gained the one thing that lasts forever, and that's eternity with God. So what happens just in those moments after death? So far we've seen three contrasts between the rich man and Lazarus. These earthly ones, the, the, the poor versus the rich. The, the spiritual, the, the poverty spiritually, um, this, this poverty that the rich man had that was a spiritual poverty versus uh, Lazarus's riches in, um, in spirituality. And an increase in misery for Lazarus, uh, for the rich man, as he sort of found himself in the space he didn't want to be, versus an increase in blessing for Lazarus. The contrast that it follows, they're opposite, but they're parallel, aren't they? They're opposite and parallel. <clears throat> I think Jesus shares the story for that, for that reason. However, in the moment straight after death, the contrast starts to break away from that mold. I wonder, would Lazarus be surprised 
in the outcome after death? Walking with Abraham? Probably not. Because I think he lived a life with God on earth. Lazarus's outlook on what death would be was probably what he expected. He'd known God in life, therefore he knew God in death. The rich man's experience, though, was quite different. Perhaps the rich man thought that his wealth, maybe his actions at the synagogue, whatever it might be, might have got him into a higher level in heaven. So death for him was probably a shock. It overthrew what he valued and made him consider things that he'd never considered before. Because firstly, we're told that, he, that he, in Hades, it says that he lifted his eyes and sees Abraham far off and Lazarus by his side. Perhaps the first time the, this is the first time the rich man really ever looked beyond his riches towards something that was set apart from the things of earth. Maybe it was the first time he'd looked up to heaven. Maybe it's the first time he realised that he was separated from God. And he looked up and he sees Lazarus, the poor, sore, ridden, scrap eater, now whole, new, walking. He couldn't even walk on earth. And he's hand in hand with Abraham, Father Abraham. It makes us ask the question, is, is Jesus actually depicting what heaven and hell might be like? Is Jesus suggesting that heaven will look down on hell and those in hell are looking up going, oh, I wish I could be there. Huh. I'm not convinced that's the case. Although Jesus often uses life stories to drive a point, we know that. Perhaps here he's using a more figurative language. But it drives a point to us, doesn't it? That being, that, that the point is that being in the moments after death, while the rich man didn't consider eternity prior to death at all, all of a sudden there was this great realisation that there was a heaven and a hell and it became very real for him. And he knew where he was and it wasn't where he wanted to be. The second thing after death the poor rich man learned was that he learned that he needed to have been praying. He began to pray because now he was convinced there was something to pray for. I remember my first prayer. I might have told this story. I was young, maybe five or six, and my mother uh, and uh, my brother and I had found our Christmas presents that mum and dad had bought us in the cupboards, uh, their cupboards. And we found them because we were looking for them. We didn't find them accidentally. <laughs> and, uh, and we got caught, and uh, mum threatened us uh, with the, the big threat. Go to your rooms. There may not be Christmas this year. Well, for a young kid, that's pretty pretty intense like whoa okay and I don't know why I don't know where I learned it I didn't grow up in the church I didn't grow up around faith at all but for some reason I knew that this I didn't know that Christmas even was attached to to the church or to religion or anything like that Christmas for me was just a whole lot of gifts and a whole lot of family that was it that's all it was as a young kid now I don't know why but I put my hands into a prayer position and I prayed to God, please let there still be Christmas. And there was. There was. <laughs> but I reckon there's a, a part of our nature, isn't there, that is spiritual in every single one of us. 
And it makes sense that we're made in God's image. Every person is made in God's image. So it makes sense that there is a part of us that is spiritual, that naturally turns to God in our times of greatest need. Naturally. And that's what this rich man did. It was just too late. He looked up and he prayed. He prayed to Abraham. He didn't ask God. He asked for Abraham. But he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. You can hear the, the pain that that would be when you're just so parched and you can't get water. And Abraham answered, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus, he received his bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you are a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here, uh, from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Lazarus is, uh, not Lazarus, the, the rich man has hit this finality and it hits him really abruptly. And the realizations that his decisions in the life that he lived on earth, all his wealth, all his fine robes, all his linen, all his statuses, all the regalness accounts for nothing anymore. And the realization hits a bit further. If I'm here and did nothing in my lifetime to be right with God, then I better get a message back to those who are left. And that falls short as well. Falls short too. Abraham says to him, They have Moses, they have the, Pharaoh, the, the prophets. Let them listen to them. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So they've got what they need to hear. We've got what we need to hear. So this is the third thing the rich man learned, was it was all just a bit too late. It was all too late to turn his eyes heavenward. It was too late to pray for a touch of heaven. It was too late to pray that his family would be warned. Can you imagine the regret that this man had? The regret that says that all these things in life that seem so important become nothing in death. So we've seen a whole lot of contrasts, but there's one final contrast. The difference in the earthly conditions between the rich man and Lazarus was one. The difference between their spiritual state, the rich man being poor spiritually, the poor man being rich spiritually. The difference within death, the rich man grew poorer and the poor man grew richer. But the one final contrast is the one that we need to be continuing to be aware of as people who still are on this earth. And it's a contrast between hopelessness, that's what the rich man experienced, and hopefulness, which was for the taking. The rich man had some hopefulness before he died. And that's what each and every living person has as well. You know, death is a finality on life on earth. We used to have a small group leader that would tell us that as we had children that we're bringing them into the world, not just for the lifetime, but for eternity. It's a big sort of thing. But death is finality of life on earth. After death, there's no opportunity to change your eternity. The rich man is proving that. 
But while there is life here on earth, there is always hope. On Thursday, I was saying before, we had our first uh, uh, night of evangelism, the evangelism course. And it was good to meet and explore evangelism. There were 15 people who came. There was a couple sick. But one of the things it reminded me of was it reminded me of the importance that every person in this life has hope or can have hope. And not just a, I hope it's a good day, but I hope that there is something greater in eternity for me. There's not one person alive today who is outside of the grace and love of God through Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done or not done, you're not in the same predicament as the rich man who found out too late. Maybe, maybe you walk along the street and you avoid certain people. You cross the road because they look different to you or maybe they're homeless and you're a bit nervous about that or, or maybe they're drug addicted and you think they're, they're a bit scary. They're not beyond the grace of God. Maybe it's someone you continually talk to uh, in the cafe that you, you frequent or your neighbours. They're not apart from the grace of God. Maybe it's the mums that you speak to in the schoolyard or maybe it's the schoolmates. No one is outside the grace of God. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one is outside of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You know what? We all know people who will be like Lazarus's five brothers, who don't know Christ, who needs someone to tell them, who needs to someone to share the hope that Lazarus had. It was a rich man's five brothers, sorry, not Lazarus's five brothers. Share the hope that Lazarus had, even though he had a poor situation on earth. Someone who can read the scriptures to them, who can ask them questions, someone who can just walk and journey alongside them. That's our opportunity as the people of God. To bring, be bearers of God's grace. So I have a couple of challenges, or one of two challenges for you this week. The first one is, um, is a challenge that the evangelism course threw out at, uh, at us uh, on Thursday night. And I want to share it with you. It said, each morning I want you to pray that God will give you an opportunity to talk to someone about your faith. Sounds like a simple prayer, but it's a profound prayer. And we heard stories already of uh, people praying that prayer and, and seeing how God opened up and led them to speak to other people. So the challenge is this, that you will see every person as we see uh, as, as, an opportun- as a person that can have an opportunity to hear of the grace of God. Because we look at the rich man and we see him with a, I don't know about you, I see him as with a, an element of pity. He never made it to a full understanding of the grace of God. But I wonder if we see our workmates in that light. Do we see people that sort of we stand in line at the supermarket for 15 minutes and do we see the person in front of us in that light and say, G'day, how you doing? Do we see our family members or the people that we go to school with in that light? We need to see them in a new light and be bold enough to ask them what they reckon about Jesus. 
So that's the challenge for you. Have a bold ask of God to reveal who you should share your faith with. And the second challenge is for maybe, maybe there's some of you here today that don't know that grace that is offered to everyone still on this earth. And perhaps the story of the rich man has resonated with you, whether you're here or whether you're online. And you think, I don't want to leave my salvation behind. I don't want to wait until it's too late. And the challenge for you, if that's in you, if that's you, is that in a moment I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance that you might accept the grace of God. Let's not leave this till it's too late. Let's not wait until it's too far gone. Let's be a church who seeks to show everyone this grace of God that we know. Let me pray. And if you want to pray this prayer with me, pray it, pray it with me. And then afterwards, I'd love you to come and chat to me about it. So God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. And that God, that you are wanting to take control of my life. May I put my life in your hands. Our God, we thank you that you uh, have given us the assurance of salvation as we give our lives to you. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that if anyone has prayed tonight, today, that they may have come into that relationship with you, that you'll bless them, that you'll grow them, that you'll reveal your presence to them. And for those who are, are ready to take on a challenge, to see people like we need to see people as lost in need of grace. I pray you help us to be bold this week, to pray a prayer that asks you to reveal someone each day to share our faith with. We give you thanks and praise. Amen.